Advent, the 18th of December, Luke chapter 1, verses 46 to 55. Having been told she would bear a son, and having responded in faith despite her fears for the future, Mary decides to visit her relative, Elizabeth. Elizabeth was an old woman who had longed for children, but had been barren throughout her life. However, Mary had been told in her vision that her relative was going to bear a son. Perhaps she wanted to see if it could be so. Or perhaps she wanted to speak to someone she could pour her heart out to. Someone who would not inflict their painful, disbelieving, disappointed and judgmental glances upon her. Regardless of her reasons, Mary goes to visit her relative. There she finds a woman transformed. With her society largely valuing women on their ability to have children, Elizabeth had carried her barrenness through her life like a shroud. Now, incredibly, in her old age, Elizabeth was pregnant. As her own story spills from Mary's mouth, the women rejoice together, and Mary stops suddenly. The wonder of what is happening dawns on her, all fear of what is ahead of her evaporating in the light of her joy. As she gazes back down the long corridor of time, she sees the great figures in the history of her people. Abraham promised that all nations would be blessed through a coming descendant. Moses, through which the covenant had been given and who had led his people out of slavery. Ruth, the foreign peasant girl who had trusted God and become one of his children and part of the messianic line. David, the shepherd boy who became a king. Elijah, the prophet who defied a king. Esther, the woman who braved the wrath of a king to prevent a genocide. Isaiah, the man who had prophesied the coming of God himself as Messiah to suffer for and redeem humanity. Mighty men and women of God. She remembers all of this and the promise given by God himself, carried like a flame through all the glorious mountains and devastating valleys of history. All the hopes and all the fears that outlasted brutal slavery, cruel kings, selfish rebellion, political turmoil, mighty empires, devastating exile and slow restoration. All of this had led to her. After all these great figures, God chooses to save the world through her, a poor, young, unwed teenager. Marvelling in wonder, Mary begins to sing. Oh, how my soul praises the Lord. How my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour. For he took notice of his lowly servant girl. And from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one is holy, and he has done great things for me. He shows mercy from generation to generation to all who fear him. His mighty arm has done tremendous things. He has scattered the proud and haughty ones. He has brought down princes from their thrones and exalted the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away with empty hands. He has helped his servant Israel and remembered to be merciful. For he made this promise to our ancestors, to Abraham and his children forever. Luke 1, 46-55 Mary's words blast through the centuries to challenge us today. Firstly, in her words of who God chooses. She realises that God owed her nothing, but had loved her and called her regardless. 
He did not choose the powerful or haughty, but the humble and the lowly, that which the world regarded as nothing. He had chosen her. A few decades later, an early Christian leader called Paul wrote to some of the first believers to remind them of this truth. The first churches were a ragtag group cut from all sections of society and meeting in each other's homes. Such meetings were often populated largely by marginalised women, slaves and the poor and lowly coming together to eat, pray and worship together. To encourage them, Paul echoed Mary's words and reminded them of the deep truths of how God operates. Remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes, or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Instead, God chose things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. 1 Corinthians 1, 26-29 He still does this today, using any of us, no matter our past, our failures, our inadequacies and our flaws. All who come open-handed, trusting in him rather than their own abilities, he will use. Those who speak arrogantly, bragging of human power and their own strength as they trample on any in their path, will one day be left bereft and cast down. Mary continues to sing, speaking of a wonderful but frightening reversal, of how the hungry will be filled with good things while the rich are sent empty away. She speaks of an upside-down kingdom and a subversion of the world's order. And later, her son will preach the same message, that the first will be last and the last will be first. Luke chapter 13, verse 30. That the greatest among his followers would be those who serve the others. Matthew chapter 23, verses 11 to 12. That the rich would struggle to enter the kingdom. Matthew chapter 19, verses 23 to 24. With the poor being welcomed ahead of them. Luke chapter 14, verses 21 to 24. And Luke 16, verses 19 to 31. He will proclaim that unlike the world, which lauds the arrogant, wealthy and the powerful, those who will be blessed in the kingdom he brings will be those who were least in the eyes of the world. God blesses those who are poor and realise their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice. For they will be satisfied. Matthew 5, 3-6 He does not stop there, warning the rich who turn a blind eye to the exploitation from which they reap their wealth, feasting while others starve, saying, What sorrow awaits you who are rich, for you have your only happiness now. What sorrow awaits you who are fat and prosperous now, for a time of awful hunger awaits you. Luke 6, 24-25 The kingdom Mary speaks of is one that will bring a radical upheaval of the world's values. Her son's followers will be called to count the cost, bear witness to, and live in line with these new values. As Christmas approaches and we are bombarded by messages of mindless consumption, the question rises, 
Whose side are we on? Are we on the side of the wealthy and powerful who drown in their apathy and turn a blind eye to the dreadful injustice and broken backs of the poor and marginalised on whom the ivory tower of their luxury is built? Or are we on the side of the oppressed, standing in the gap to speak for those who have no voice? We can easily discern this by examining our hearts. Do we question where our clothes and electronics come from and what the real price tag on them is, paid in blood, sweat and tears, or do we turn a blind eye and download the latest app? Do we speak out like the prophets of old, lobbying the powerful who would exclude the foreigner, the refugee, the persecuted minority among us, or do we vote for them? Do we open our door to the stranger, the homeless and the desperate, or do we build a wall to keep them out? Do we see our wealth as a gift entrusted to us by God to use to help heal a broken world and to build his kingdom? Or do we squander it in luxury for ourselves, storing up treasures that will one day testify against us and our priorities? Mary's warning is clear. The oppressors will be cast down one day while the oppressed will be raised up. Justice will triumph. When that day of reckoning comes, whose side will we have been on? Francis Chan has looked at such teachings as this and said, Lukewarm people call radical what Jesus expected of all of his followers. Mary's words still resonate through the centuries. Mary's words challenge us in another way. Her simple faith. She trusts God, despite not knowing what the journey ahead will entail. She does not yet know that a few months later she will painfully give birth in a filthy room with animals as companions as no one will open the door to her. She does not yet know that she will have to flee to a foreign land as a desperate refugee when a puppet king inflicts a massacre on a small town in his attempts to strangle the hope of the world at its birth. She does not yet know that she will stand by a cruel piece of wood on a dark afternoon one day, watching the sun she bore against the world, gasping for breath and bleeding out under a naked sky. All she knows is that God has called her, and that she will bear a son who will save the world. She knows there will be hard times ahead. Just like when Abraham was called to leave his home, but not told where he would go, she does not know what the road ahead will look like. All she knows is that God has called her and that she will bear a son who will save the world and that there are hard times ahead. Just like when Abraham is called to leave his home but not told where he would go, she does not know what the road ahead will look like. But she knows the one who has called her. And that is enough. Such reckless, simple faith of one who is nothing in the eyes of the world. But she speaks words that cut through all our religious platitudes. The roads we are called to will not be easy ones paved with gold, with each step accompanied by an angelic chorus. They will often be dark paths through the very valley of the shadow of death, filled with painful steps so slow. But we are not alone. And we are called by that same promise giver that Mary trusted, and who led her through each dark questioning step to the wonder and majesty of salvation for all humanity and to the majestic wonder of the empty tomb. Like Mary, we do not know what lies ahead, but we follow one who does. Mary's words of wonder speak to us as we approach Christmas. As we reflect on questions of justice and what it means to step out in faith, she sings a song 
that we would be wise to attune our hearts to.